You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. What a great thing. If you are new here, if you're visiting, if you're just checking us out, maybe watching on online or on TV today, I hope that one thing that you have realized here this morning is that uh, we talk about Jesus all the time. We come here to worship Jesus. We come here to learn about Christ and to follow Him with our entire lives. And if through all of that we gain some things about how we can better our life or uh, live differently, that's great. But we're here to lift up the name of Christ because He's redeemed us and He saved us. And there's this desire that God has that each and every person would know Jesus personally, would passionately pursue Him, and then come together in a community. And, and so we've been studying the life of Jesus to know more about Him and His ministry, who He is, His identity, what He says about Himself, and then also what we can glean from it so that we can do what He's called us to do, to go and make disciples. And so we've been chugging along through Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew to learn more about ourselves, about God, and about this Savior. Today we're in a bit of a second half of uh, Jesus' discussion about uh, this rich young ruler's response to, to Jesus calling him to humility and, um, and selling all of his possessions. And the disciples have a lot of questions, and Jesus likes it, right? I think, that's, I think that's how we grow in our faith. A lot of people think that if they come to church, go to Sunday school class, I don't know much, I'm ashamed, I don't want to ask questions. Let me tell you, ask questions. Never stop asking questions from other people. There is not a dumb question if you want to know more about who God is, and so just ask it. And the people around you, the people in your Sunday school, people in your small group, your Bible study, men, and if nobody knows it, then dig into it together. If you don't know uh, much about and you're trying to learn something, dig into it. Find a good, trusted resource and attack that question so you can know more about Jesus, what he wants us to do. When I was, uh, I think it was, I was trying to think, I think it was between my third and fourth grade year uh, is when I first took up the game of golf. And uh, my game has not improved to this day. Uh, but my mom and dad got me a set of clubs for my birthday, uh, which I found before my birthday, played around with them, washed them, put them back in my mom's closet. Uh, I didn't say that in first service because um, she, was, she was sitting right there. Um, but uh, we started to play because uh, here in Bismarck, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, kids play free at uh, the public golf courses because that's when they turn the sprinklers on. Huh, ironic. Um, and, uh, and so anyhow, one day they had a, a tournament, and we found out that we were going to get to play in a real golf tournament. I'd never played in a tournament about anything. And so I thought, how awesome is this? So I show up with my friends. We're there early in the morning. I don't know how many there were, but there were a lot of teams, a lot of us. I was a little guy, and I was kind of in the back of the crowd, and I was just way too excited. I barely slept the night before. I couldn't wait to just get out and play with my friends, and we were going to golf, and I didn't really know how that much, but who cares? And so I didn't pay attention to the woman who was giving the instructions. Uh, didn't think it mattered anyway. You know, we're just going to go out and have fun. Uh, we are the first team uh, to go, and so that's a lot of pressure, everybody watching. And then we were obviously the first team to end, and we got done, and our friends started uh, telling the, 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 this woman who was in charge of the tournament the scores, and she had this huge chart, big piece of paper. And so she started writing names, you know, number one, and then she wrote the score, two, three. And then she got to me, and I said, uh, my name's Paul Nather, and I got an 81. And, and she was writing up here, and she goes, okay. And, and she wrote, I was... The last name on the chart, we're the first group in. There's only four of us. 
three of my friends up here with their scores, and then I was like number 50 down here with an 81, like crushing. In other words, you have no hope that there's going to be another child who's going to come in that's worse than me. You know, that's kind of what I started to hope for. And then she turned and explained to me, and she said, did you not listen to anything that I said before you went out to play? And I, I didn't. And so I just kind of stood there frozen, and she said, first of all, she said, first of all, you got an 81. The tournament was only nine holes, right? And so, so you, you averaged a nine on every hole. And she said, before you went out, I had told everyone that if you haven't gotten it in the hole by seven, pick it up, take an eight, and, and call it a day. Uh, and so I managed to score higher than the highest possible score that you could score in this tournament. And I will tell you, it was embarrassing, and I, I mean, it was awful. I had to come back every week to play golf there at Tom O'Leary up in that clubhouse on Ward Road. And that thing, they kept that thing hanging in the kind of in that, store, that storage hallway. And there were, I don't know how many names, there was a lot of blanks. And then there was Paul Nather with an 81 <laughs> down at the bottom. And so it, it was, but the reason was, right, I, I, didn't, I didn't listen I didn't pay attention uh, when, when the rules were set, and I definitely didn't ask any questions. Today, what I love about our text is that, is that the focus now turns to Jesus and his conversation with the disciples. What had taken place was that this rich young man had come to Jesus and said, I want eternal life. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And really, as we studied last week, what he was saying was, I have everything in life that I could ask for, but I still feel like there's one thing missing. So what is the one, what do I need to get over that hump? What do I need to do so that I could have eternal life? And what is Jesus' response to him? Because he, he, Jesus knows his heart. Because we know that, that salvation is by faith and not works. But Jesus knows that, that this man's gain and his desire for more, to have it all, was going to interfere with him being able to fully follow him as Lord and Savior, that this man basically was serving two kings. He, he wanted to serve Jesus, but I also want to serve myself. I, I want to I make something of myself, and I want to keep my power, my authority, and I don't want to let go of anything. So Jesus says, go sell everything you have, give your money to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. And as I said last week, that's not going to be the same thing for everyone. We all have our, we all have our things that are on the throne, right, that, that put us on the throne. That Jesus says, you're going to have to let, be willing to let go of some of these things in order to follow me fully. Because that's what I'm looking for in my disciples. And it says that this young man went away sad. Probably one of the most heartbreaking uh, narratives that we have in Scripture. That this kid was so close to having everything. And, and he wasn't willing to let go and walked away from Jesus because of the things of this world. So what happens is uh, the disciples uh, start to watch this, and they hear what Jesus has to say, and, and it leaves them with questions, and it's a great opportunity for Jesus to teach them something and for us to learn today. So let's go to chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 16 as I read this. For us, if you are uh, if you are willing, uh, please stand. Honor the reading of the word. It says, "Behold, 
so after this is done, uh, sorry, we're going to start in verse 23 I want to start with. So Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray. Father, as we spend some time uh, digging into your word, would you just make it real to us? real in our own hearts of what it is that we need you to say to us. Give us a new focus, a new mindset. May your Holy Spirit just give us the power then to follow through on it. Father, we know today too, we acknowledge as we dig into your word, uh, that your word is full uh, of of what you have to say about your nation Israel, and we continue uh, to lift up what's happening in the Middle East to you. It is in your hands. You are a sovereign God and in control. Help us to trust that. But Father, my prayer today, with, along with this church, is that you would give our world leaders, the decision makers, Father, wisdom to do what's right. Would you give them confidence uh, in those decisions? And would you surround them with people who can speak truth into them, Father, so that, that lives can be spared and that people can be pointed uh, to what it is that you have to say? So, Father, thank you for watching over us. Pray that you would uh, do the same for those around the world. Uh, Today, as we now look into your word, give us joy in the journey. In your name, amen. You can have a seat. So, just as a reminder, uh, this is a message for all of us today. I mentioned this last week, and, and if we take it at face value, it would seem as though Jesus is scolding anybody who has any resources available to them. Remember, it is not about how much you have or how little you have. It is about where you place that in your life and the priority that you place it on. If it was just about wealthy, that the wealthy can't inherit the kingdom of heaven, we're all out. Because if you, if you in America make $10,000 a year... You are in the top 16% of all of the people in the world. If you make more than $50,000 a year here in America, you are in the wealthiest 1% of all of the population on this planet. All right, so we can all basically just say today that that we we are wealthy. Uh, And and if we don't feel as though we are, uh, many people desire it. And that's what Jesus is getting at. What is it that you're pursuing? What is it that controls your life, that consumes your mind, that you find security in. That's what this is all about. Because owning and coveting things always, Jesus says, runs the risk of idolatry. Placing it higher than God. Putting your trust in the things of this world and not uh, on Him. 
The things of the world are a temptation to what already stirs in our hearts, and that is self-sufficiency. That's, that is why idolatry, that's why a love and a passion of the things of this world uh, are so dangerous because it makes us believe that we have the power to change lives, that I have the power to control my life, and if the more I have, the more control I have over other people. And God says, do not compete with me. I will not stand for it. And so we need to humble ourselves. Is it okay to have stuff? Sure, it's fine. It's how we view it and why we want it that Jesus says can be the distraction that takes you away from him. If we are self-sufficient, we're happy, we're satisfied, we don't need God. That's the danger. That's why it's so dark. In John 15, 5, Jesus' words alone, it says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. When we can get that into our hearts and into our heads, that nothing I do is under my own part. I cannot be self-sufficient. If I try to be self-sufficient, I am valueless. It amounts to nothing. So Jesus paints this picture, this hilarious scenario that, that he speaks and it's not, it's not fresh with Jesus. It actually comes from ancient Jewish Talmud. The rabbis used to say it's easier for an elephant to go through a needle than it is for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it was this idea of with, with all of uh, our stuff and a love for having more and power and money, that passionate pursuit, it's incredibly difficult to then follow after God, to make Him Lord. And so Jesus changes it up a bit and He says it's easier... For a camel to go through the eye of a needle, a camel was far more uh, relevant to uh, Jesus' day than any elephants. There are no elephants in Israel. And, and so he, he just, he says, it's this picture that's supposed to be laughable. To which it's such an extreme to go, well, that's impossible, exactly. Now, there are a lot of people who have tried to explain this away. In about the 15th century, there was a, a, a scholar that came up with this idea of, well, maybe it was because the gates of Jerusalem were so small and trying to get to, a camel was a beast of burden. That's where you piled all your stuff. So to get a camel through a, a, a gate would be impossible. You have to unpack it. It's a great illustration, but it's just not true. That's not what Jesus meant. It's, we don't have any proof for that whatsoever. There are others who also said that the big ropes used for ships Back in Jesus' day, were made out of camel hair, so maybe, camel hair. So maybe that's what he was trying to say. Is it's it's easier, you know, it's harder for, for it's easier for a, a giant rope to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Fine, use it if you want to. It's just not what he meant. What he meant was what he said. It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a wealthy man to get into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it's really hard. It's hard. That's what he was saying. It's difficult. So what we're supposed to ask then is, so then what do I need to do? What needs to change in my life so that, so that I can inherit eternal life? Well, it's exactly what Jesus had told the rich young ruler. you got to get rid of stuff. And it wasn't about the getting rid of stuff. We talked about this last week. It was about the willingness, that the, the, the view that Jesus is more valuable than anything that this world has to offer. And that's how we're supposed to live, with open hands. Whatever comes my way, great. Whatever leaves my hands, fine, as long as I have Jesus. Nothing wrong with having things unless it becomes our security. It becomes our focus. It becomes our Lord, that we don't use it for kingdom building. And so th this causes this question in the disciples' mind is, 
as Jesus then goes on to say, really that, that it's difficult for people because wealth seems to be the thing in this world that everybody wants to pursue, whether you have it or not. If you have it, you want more. If you don't have it, you think that that's actually going to make a difference in your life and make you happy. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, the Apostle Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you just be content with following God. We brought nothing into this world, he says, and we can't take anything out. If you have food and clothing, be content, Paul says. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money, the love of money. A lot of people misinterpret that. They say that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of it, the passion for it is a root of all kinds of evils. It's the start of, of a destructive life when we pursue the things of this world. Um, and then he says it's through this craving that so many have wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many pangs. I probably don't even need to go into it for any of us today. We know what happens in our lives when we make having more our focus. Some people say, I don't, I don't need more. I just want to break even. But that becomes all-consuming in our minds. And, and where is it then that we think we're going to find our peace? My peace is going to come when I can balance a checkbook. My peace comes when I can pay for my kid's college. My peace is going, but it never stops, does it? It never stops. You're going to continue thinking about that your entire life. What about retirement? Then you get into retirement, and it's just, it never ends. And Jesus says, I'm your peace. That's what I want. I want you to trust me. And if you trust me, then I'll give you what it is that you need. I will provide for your needs, but, but you can't walk in two, you can't follow me and yet walk in a totally opposite direction. 1 John 2.15, John says, don't love the world or the things in this world. In other words, don't place a, your number one focus on these things. Don't sacrifice for these other things. Jesus says, I want you to sacrifice for me. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father cannot be in him. Plain and simple. If we love the stuff of this world, you don't have to wait till you're an adult to think about it, or when I get a job and all that, but even as a young person, if we love the things of this world, it's very difficult to have all of your focus, your passion, your love, your desires go to God. We've seen it with the rich young ruler. He wanted to know about eternal life. Jesus told him, and he said, I can't do that. And it says that the disciples were greatly astonished. They weren't astonished at the response of the young man. They were at Jesus, uh, astonished at Jesus' teaching. As he, as he says, if it's, if it's that difficult, then his, their response is, is what? They're just showing their, they're showing their hand, their hearts. Well, who, can, who could be saved? If, if that's the case, if, if loving the things of this world are, are the case, to having stuff is the case, that's everybody's role. I mean, that's what the, that's what the disciples had, had learned and viewed their entire lives. Even the, the religious leaders were some of the wealthiest people in their land. And, and, and it was taught to them that we have what we have because of God's blessing on us. Right? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the message that so often we can get messed up in our head that we just think that the only way that God blesses is, is in our wallets? Why would God heap stuff on people as a blessing when he said, be careful of it? 
God's blessings are his love and his care and his grace and his mercy, his family that he gives you. Yes, we should see that all things come from God. But we can get lost so much in the look at how hard I have worked, look at everything that I have, look at this kingdom that I have built for myself. And I will tell you, I was part of a church early on when I, when I first started in ministry uh, of, of a leader who had that attitude. This is all for God. Look at how he's blessed. we got thousands of people coming. Look at what I have created and in an instant. It was gone. Because God says, I don't play that. I get the glory. If I bless you with people to shepherd and with that responsibility, I expect you to live up to it. Not to use that as the God that you now worship to feed yourself. So Jesus says, look, it's really difficult. For somebody who loves the stuff of this world, who has it all, uh, to, uh, to, to gain salvation because really they don't understand a dependence on God. And so the disciples are going, they're, they're blown away. Their jaws are dropped. Like, what in the world? That means nobody's going to be in heaven. What are we going to do about it? Who can be saved? And Jesus' unspoken response first, I think, needs to be pointed out. It says he, he looked at the disciples. I think that there's a doesn't say much, but it says a lot. I, I think Jesus, he, he paused because, great question. And, and, and Jesus sees into their heart. They're really wanting to know. Well, then who can have eternal life? They're probably maybe a little bit broken about it, even questioning themselves a, a little bit. Because Jesus has now just kind of turned everything upside down for them. And they ask the question. They want to know the truth. And Jesus' response is going to clarify it once and for all. He starts by saying, well, um, first of all, with man it's impossible. Who can be saved? If, if this is the case, who can be saved? And Jesus says, well, if it's up to you and, and your activity, your action, well, it's impossible. No, nobody can. You can't gain enough. You can't have enough. Uh, you can't take enough. You can't do enough. With man, salvation is impossible. Nothing you can do to earn God's favor. No amount of service, no amount of good deeds, no amount of accolades that you have, no amount of prayer. You cannot earn salvation. John 6, says, Nobody can come to the Father unless He draws them to Himself. It is all an act of the love and mercy of God. It starts with Him. Paul actually says in Romans chapter 6 that all of us, prior to our salvation, we're all slaves to sin. In other words, we're trapped in it. We need rescue. We're all beasts of burden and in some way continue to love just piling more stuff on our lives, thinking that that, that just a little bit more is going to make it better. And Jesus says what? Actually, less makes it better. Less of you, less of this world, and more of me. But so often we just keep plugging away thinking if I just, just get that, if I just have that, if I just accomplish that, then I'll be at a place, we, always, we make this lighter, then I'll be at a place to then follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Less of you puts you in a greater position to humble yourself before me. Then you realize the need me 
so often I hear people say, I don't know why God's allowing me to go through it. Because he's calling out to you. He's stripping away the things that, that are a barrier between you and him. You should be so excited when, when we go through trials. God believes in me. He's doing something for me. He sees me. He cares about me. And the enemy knows that God wants me. And so it gets worse and worse because he's trying to get my life. That battle that we have is a spiritual battle for our souls. We should say, this means God's drawing me to himself. I'm in. Whatever I need to get rid of, I'm all in on this. But it is impossible to do on ourselves. We don't have power to rescue ourselves. But then I love what Jesus says. With man, this is, it's impossible. Salvation is impossible. With God, all things are possible. What seems impossible to man is impossible, except to God. When it comes to salvation, he does the greatest work. We oftentimes, look, let's admit it, Christians, we use that passage out of context a lot, don't we? Right? Like, hey, hey, football team, we need a verse for this year. How about with God all things are possible? Yeah. You know, like that, fine. You know, with practice, you can throw a ball. And, and somebody will catch it. Or you can tackle a guy if you work really hard. With God, he can save lives. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what makes it possible. Titus 3.3, 3, we once ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's who we are before Christ. But verse 4 but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of anything, of any works we've done by us in righteousness, but what? According to His own mercy. That, my friends, is the gospel. That is the good news. Left to ourselves, we're in a whole pile of trouble. But when God shows up and rescues us everything in our life changes are we alert to it are we aware of it do we desire it do we want it can we finally admit right some of us still need to admit i cannot do anything to earn god's love he's my creator he chose to love me he chose to rescue me he chose to send his son he chose me how incredible is that Romans 3.10 says, no one is righteous. We need a full-on change from the inside out. To become a new creation that God calls us, we need a creator. For us to be rescued, from freed from slavery, we need the one who can break the chains of sin. If we want to be rescued from death and eternal separation from God, we need the one who conquers death and promises eternal life. And that is who our God is. We don't need more of this world. We just need a taste of His mercy. That's all. Paul continues, Romans chapter 3, 11, says not only is no one righteous, but no one under their own power seeks God. If you have a questions, if you have a desire, if right now you're like, I, I think I need God, that is not under your power. That is God calling out to you, saying, here I am. Take me. 
become yours. So the, the question then, then next gets asked is by Peter. Peter relatively is kind of, he gets it. Okay, I'm, I'm starting to understand what you're saying. So I have a question because, and it's going back to the rich young ruler. He said, uh, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And you said, sell everything, get rid of everything. And so Peter's response is, so I have a question for you. We, your 12, have given up everything for you. So what's next? I don't think it's a selfish question. The reason I don't think it was a selfish question is because Jesus, for the first time when Peter asks a question, doesn't rebuke Peter. Right? He doesn't go, well, you got to pick up your cross. and fight. He, doesn't, he doesn't teach him. He actually gives him an answer. And it's beautiful. He says, so we, Jesus, we have given up everything. So this eternal life thing, what, do, what does it look like? What, what do we receive for doing this? I'm just, I'm interested in knowing. And Jesus' response is, is about his reign in the kingdom. And he says, and, and you're all going to be there. Sitting on 12 thrones and you're going to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. Could you imagine hearing that? As a, as a young boy who grew up hoping that maybe, I mean, that was, we talk about this all the time, that was the dream of every young Jewish boy was to, the, the highest you could reach was maybe to be, was to be a rabbi. Maybe if you're from the tribe of Levi, maybe, maybe the high priest one day. Like that's what you aimed for. And, and none of them got that. Fishermen and tax collectors, all of the rejected of society. Our hearing for the so so what's what 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 do we get out of this? And first, Jesus' response is, well, when we when the new world comes, in other words, when when I return and I and I change everything, when all the sin and all of the evil is all gone, and and uh, the enemy does not uh, control anything in this world, and I sit on my throne above all things, you too are going to sit on thrones. And you're going to rule over all of the people of the earth for what it is that you have given up to follow me. Can you see why? They, remember, this is on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus preparing for his death. But, but oftentimes you wonder, like, man, how was it that Peter, who was so goofy so often and said such foolish things, could become such an incredible preacher to the point where he was willing to die and gave up his life for Jesus? It was, one, because he knew Jesus and he loved him. But you have to imagine, is because he kept his eyes uh, beyond this world. He, he knew that whatever, whatever happens in this world, uh, it doesn't matter. I don't need anything in this world because someday I will sit on a throne and I will judge and rule and have authority. I don't know what that, I don't know fully what that means. I read so many commentators and scholars on this. And people are saying, we don't even know what it's going to look like because it's all of eternity. It means that there's going to be order in heaven and it's going to be ruled, yes, by Christ. But then he's going to give power and authority, not just to the apostles, the twelve. But actually, if you go through scripture, it actually says, those that follow Jesus will as well. Jesus actually says to us, I will share my throne with you. Now, we aren't going to be Christ, but, but we will we'll have position and authority and rule over one another, and we'll be okay with it 
in eternity. If we're willing to let go of authority and power and stuff and the things of this world today. I love that that Jesus didn't rebuke, but he gave them this promise. You who have followed me, you've kept, that means you've kept your eyes on me. Your focus has been on me and not on anything else. And, and you will receive a hundredfold of anything that you've given up for my namesake here on this earth. It doesn't mean if you've just sat back and done nothing and, well, I'm, I'm, I'm broke and lazy and I don't have anything. But it means, but the last will be first and the first will be last. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying if you've willingly given up the things of this world to willingly follow me, don't worry about it because someday uh, you're going to get more than you could ever imagine. We don't know fully what that is. All, all I know is that if I get to see Jesus face to face, that's enough for me. I don't want to do anything here on this earth that could risk that. What's your most prized possession? Family, friends, land, Jesus says. That's how he concludes this section. Anybody who's willing to give up? Because what, what is it about that? I could say probably for all of us, if we look at that list, it's about security. It's about comfort. It's about peace. It's about just kind of uh, making a place for ourselves into the future. He says family, friends, land. If you're willing to sacrifice those things, not that you have to, but what he's saying is, if you'll love me more than all of those things, what you're going to get in return, yes, the someday of the blessing, but also today. If, if you think that your security is, is in uh, your parents or in your uh, spouse, uh, if, if your focus, your entire world revolves, look, I love my kids, but they cannot control our lives. They do not tell us how to live our spiritual lives. And we chase them around the world, and we do that. Yeah, we say yes to everything. Sorry, kids, I love you a ton. But we all have to admit that if Jesus isn't the one that controls everything, if he's not the one that sets our schedule and our time, if he's not the one that gets the, our, our greatest uh, of energies, then, then those things are our gods. People can be gods. And he says, if you let go of those, I will give you everything that you think you're going to find in those. Identity, security, a future. I'll bless you with all of that now and forever. Where's your heart? Is it after me? I'll repay you a hundredfold. Hudson Taylor said he never succeeded in making a sacrifice for God. He was a great missionary. I never succeeded in making a sacrifice for God. Because every time I gave up anything for him, he found, I found so much blessing that I felt myself better off rather than worse for having given up whatever it was. You cannot outgive God. You give him your life, he says, I'm going to give you life a hundred times better than you could ever imagine. Because he gives us Jesus. So the question that we then have to ask ourselves is one that the disciples didn't ask, but it's just stated in the last verse, verse 30. Many who are first will be last and the last first. Uh, the question is, so where will you be? Where will you be? 
The, the idea is on this earth, uh, we give all of the credit and the accolades and shine the spotlight on the people who have risen to the top, the top 1%, who have it all, who have the power, have the authority, who make the decisions over the world, and we all applaud them. On this earth, uh, it's much different than in the kingdom of heaven, where a fisherman, uh, a poor, broke fisherman and a, and a money thief, redeemed by Jesus, is going to sit on a throne in glory, ruling over the peoples of the earth. Everything gets flipped. The last will be first, and the first uh, will be last. Where will you be? We need to choose, I'm willing to be last on this earth so that I can be the person that God wants me to be now and forever. I want to wrap it up with my favorite movie illustration of all time. I love the movie Field of Dreams. It's the greatest film of all time. It's the story of Ray Kinsella. He's a farmer, a corn farmer in Iowa. And, um, and uh, he had a dad who played in the major leagues a really short amount of time, never got a chance to even really get to bat, and, uh, and kind of lived with that depression until the day that he died. And so Ray and his dad's relationship was not good. Uh, Ray's out in his cornfield one night, and he hears a voice, if you build it, it will come. All right? It's a, I practice that a lot. I say it along with the movie every time. It's my, my, it's my own karaoke. Uh, and and uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about, but he sees a vision of a baseball diamond. So he plows up his field and he builds a baseball diamond. And the whole town thinks that he's absolutely crazy. And while he's out there and he's growing this corn and nothing seems to be happening, season after season, he's going to lose the farm. And his brother-in-law is a banker like, dude, you need to sell because you are absolutely, you've gone out of your mind. And, um, and all of a sudden, uh, one night, um, these baseball players uh, from the days of yore, show up on the field, right? Shoeless Joe Jackson and all the Black Sox that got banned from baseball for a cheating scandal and kind of these no-names who never really got a shot at the big leagues. They come out and they get to play. This is like their heaven, right? And so in the middle of it, Ray is sent all over the country to find all these other people who need redemption in their lives to bring them to this field and only they can see these players, these ghosts playing baseball uh, out there. And, and at the very end of, of the movie, uh, Ray's standing there, he's talking with Shoeless Joe Jackson, and his, he's got another couple buddies, one of the authors that he kidnapped and brought there, and, and, and Shoeless Joe asks this author, he goes, hey, you want to come out to the corn and see where we go every night? And absolutely. So they go out, and then Ray is left there on the pitching mound, he's like, well, what about me? What about me? And, and Shoeless Joe says, well, what about you, Ray? And he says, look, I, I, I'm, I've gone bankrupt over this thing. I've lost everything. People think I'm nuts. The town hates me. And he said, and not once have I ever asked what's in it for me. And, and Joe says, so what do you want, right? And he goes, what's in it for me? And, and, and Joe Jackson, his great line says, is that why you did this, Ray? Did you do this for you? We're kind of left with this, what in the world? And then Joe looks over at home plate, and Ray looks at home plate, and there's this young baseball player packing up the bats, and, uh, and Ray realizes it's his dad. And, and, uh, and then the greatest line of any movie of all time, hey, Dad, you, you want to have a catch? <laughs> Sorry, I ruined it for you if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. The whole, the whole point of it is, is it's such a beautiful, every time I watch it, I, I see this passage, right, is, is, that, is that we're not supposed to ask what's in it for us. 
what we're supposed to do is just listen to the word of God and what it says is, it says, if, if you just do what I've asked you to do, you're going to have a relationship with the Father that was designed by the Father, by the Creator for you, to be lived with you, and it will bring great redemption to you and everybody that you come into contact with. That is the good news of Jesus. Are we willing? Are we willing? Right? Excuse the illustration. Are you willing to plow up everything? so that you and others can have a relationship with the one who came to redeem you. Today's the day to tell God that you love him, to thank him for how much he loves you, to recognize his son as your savior and Lord, and to realize that your sin is hindering you from that relationship. And scripture says that if we repent of our sin and just say, I don't want the world anymore, I just want you, Jesus. He says, you can have me. Now let's go. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you. We love you. We praise you for your word. It is a beautiful thing. We ask God that you would help us to just keep our focus right. This world is difficult. We thank you uh, that, that you understand that. You explain that to us in your word. This world is hard and it wants to battle for our souls. But God, you say, I've, I, I, my grace is sufficient. What I've given you is enough. Trust me. Help us to trust you, God, more than anything else. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and close in worship.